We've been working our way through these books since June 3rd. Now we find ourselves looking at Isaiah, Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations. We believe here at the Cross Loganville that your story matters. We believe every person we meet, their story matters. And so we believe as we pick up the scripture and start to look at Isaiah and Jeremiah, their stories matter. And we're going to unpackage some of their narrative today, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would have total freedom to work in your life. Now let me say this. Isaiah is referred to as the prophet, not a prophet, not just some general name. Even the Jews, when they think of Isaiah, they go, he's the prophet. And Isaiah had some of the most profound, insightful revelation regarding Jesus Christ of anybody. David penned some great things. Moses had a little insight. But I'm telling you right now, what Isaiah was given by God rocked his world. Many scholars call the book of Isaiah the gospel according to Isaiah. He is the only one under the old covenant, if you will, that's referred to as the gospel according to one. And as we unpackage him today, I think you'll see why. His name literally means salvation belongs to Yahweh or God is my Savior. Now, nomen est omen gem is important to us here, which means your name is your destiny. And his name was salvation belongs to Yahweh. Salvation belongs to your God. God is your salvation, Isaiah. Walk in it. And so 700 years before Messiah Jesus is ever born, Isaiah gets this profound insight to what this Messiah is going to look like. Failed kingship had been the theme throughout the Old Testament. When you go back and study it, it was one king after another that would have flaws and failures. And what God is showing Isaiah, that the king of glory is coming. He will not have flaw. He will not have failure. He will reign and rule forever. Isaiah, I want to show you who he is. And so 700 years before he's ever born, he gets this incredible insight. Now, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2 is a key theme and a key verse throughout the teaching of Isaiah. I would highly encourage you to ponder this. It says, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. When you come to understand God in a personal way, when you come to personal faith in Christ and God becomes your Savior through Jesus Christ, I promise you, and you start to push in and say, I trust this God, you will not be afraid. You will not live in fear. You will not be flooded with anxiety. When you're trusting the God of all creation to be enough for you, it will totally, totally blow your mind and rearrange your world. Now, right out of the gate, if you read Isaiah chapter 1, right out of the gate, God gives Isaiah this uh, prophetic revelation here in regards to a stern warning to the people of Judah, Jerusalem, and Israel. Let me read it to you. He goes, listen, pay attention. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and the children that I've cared for have rebelled against me. An ox knows its owner and a donkey recognizes its master's care. But Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. What a sinful nation they are. They're loaded down with a burden of guilt. They're evil. They have rejected the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They've turned 
their backs on him. Now stop. 700 years before Messiah Jesus, 2,700 years ago, God speaks and says, tell the people to listen up. Tell them to listen up. They have rejected me. They're evil. They're burdened down with guilt. They don't want to know me. Does that sound like America 2018? We've rejected the Lord. We've done our own thing. We've despised the oracles of God. We compromise and negotiate biblical truth for the sake of appeasing momentary happiness in our lives. And I was like reading through this going, what an indictment. What an indictment that day and what an indictment it is for us today. But he wasn't speaking to lost pagans. He was speaking to people that claimed to be his. And the problem today that hinders the effectiveness of the Holy Spirit being able to work inside the church is we've got people that don't recognize God's care for them. We've got people that are living in sin. We've got people that are negotiating the things of God. And we wonder as individuals, why is God not blessing me? Larry Crabb said, no matter what is happening to you, your worst problem is in you. The problem is not how bad you feel. It's how poorly you love. Your failure to love God above all else defines your unholiness. When you recognize how unholy you are and you own it without making excuses, your ears can be open to hear God's word of comfort and hope. So, to quote the great theologian, Michael Jackson, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. Because basically he's crying out, your problem is you. you. You can blame other people. You can deflect. You can talk about the reason your life sucks is because of family and friends and co-workers, but stop it. Look in the mirror. The biggest problem is you. You've entertained sin and you're okay with it. And, and what we know for all of us is that sin fascinates, then it dominates, then it devastates. What appears to be fascinating initially, this less wild lover is a lure, there's a payoff. I'm, I'm going to get some pleasure in it, and then bam, it starts to dominate, devastate, suffocate, and it will kill you, and it will create so much collateral damage. Back to Isaiah. He has this incredible revelation. He tells the people, y'all need to straighten up. This is jacked up. Listen to the Lord. Isaiah 1.18 is quoted. The Lord says, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though your sins are like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. What he's saying is this, despite how deep and corrupt and vile your sin is, God is going to bring about an atoning sacrifice that can clean you. 
Doesn't matter how lost and dirty you are. What matters is how pure and clean he can make you. We don't rank sin at the cross, Loganville. Scripture don't rank sin. And what he says is your sin, your, your sin, it, it, it's muddied the waters. It's dirtied everything. But, but God is going to send one who's going to clean it up. But you've got, you, you got to trust him. You've got to trust him. Then God starts to speak. And I want you to walk through this. This is so powerful. Isaiah, I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send atonement. So we pick up Isaiah chapter 6. And he says, in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah was the king. Isaiah, Uzziah had compromised with the Lord. He tried to fulfill priestly responsibilities. God smoked him with leprosy. He died a terrible death. L listen, in the year that King Uzziah died, listen, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. He was exalted and lifted up. Train of his robe filling the temple. I, I saw the Lord. Cherubim, seraphim, angels flying around. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, is, and is to come. Holy is God. I saw the Lord. And Isaiah said, I said, whoa, is me. I'm unclean. I'm vile. Uh, there, there's this huge gap between me and God. I saw the Lord. And then the word of the Lord came and said, who will be my voice to the nations? Who can I send? Who, who's willing to stand in the gap? Who's willing to take a prophetic word to the nations? Who's willing to take their people group, the gospel? Isaiah said, here, here am I. Send me. Here my send me. Isaiah, what caused you to be a candidate to be used by God? Well, I made myself available, but I saw the Lord. A, a lot of us claim that we've seen the Lord. We've seen the holiness of God. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I've seen him. But yet we continue to pacify sin. We continue to open doors to other less wild lovers. I've seen the Lord. No, no, what Lord have you seen? Because I believe with all my heart that if we ever taste of the true God and the true gospel, and we see the holiness of God, and we see the vileness of who we are, and that God invites us into this relationship, and that God invites us to be a part of taking that good news to other people. We will not live in sin any longer. We may occasionally slip up. But having sex outside of marriage, not going to happen. Continuing to go down the trail of addiction and satisfying myself, it's not going to happen because I've seen the Lord. Where there is spiritual conviction, there will always be fleshly eviction. When the Spirit comes in and convicts, it drives my flesh patterns out. Isaiah says, I, I, I saw the Lord. Who's going to go, Isaiah? I, I will. 
Are you willing to be his voice to your nation? So Isaiah continues to pen, and God goes, let me, let me tell you what's going to happen. Chapter 7, verse 14, this virgin, this is going to be crazy, Isaiah, but this virgin is going to conceive. Virgin, not with a man, but supernaturally, God's going to cause her to conceive. And she's going to have a baby, and they're going to call him Emmanuel which means God with us. Isaiah, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to bring about redemption, but here's where I'm going. Whew, virgin's going to have a birth. A baby, yes. It's not going to be natural. It's going to be supernatural. Then he goes, write this down, Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. A, uh, a child will be born and a son will be given. A child's going to be born in Bethlehem, but a son's going to be given on Mount Calvary. Child's going to be born, but a son is going to willfully die a criminal's death. The government's going to rest on his shoulders because he's king of kings and lord of lords. The king is coming, Isaiah. It's not going to have no end. His reign and rule will last forever. And they're going to call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He's going to come, Isaiah, and when he comes, he's going to be wonderful counselor. He's even going to promise that he's going to send the Parakletos, the Holy Spirit, who's going to be the counselor for all. He, he, he's a wonderful counselor, but he's a mighty God. El Gabor, he's God in flesh. He, he's going to be an everlasting father. He's going to rise from the dead. All these other deities that people worship, they're going to bury them and they're going to stay in the ground. But on the third day, this everlasting father is getting up. And he's going to be the prince of peace. That's the reason, Paul, if we really repent and there's been conviction by the Holy Spirit that causes us to respond, there's going to be eviction and then the peace of Christ can then come in and start to settle in our hearts. Isaiah, he's, he's coming. Now, we're 2,000 years later looking back going, he came. It, it, he lived out what Isaiah said was going to happen. And then he says, uh, tell them that those who wait for the Lord, they'll gain new strength. Those who wait, those who believe, those who trust, those who anticipate this king of glory coming, now, now we, we've got those verses tatted on us and written in different places, hanging in the house. Oh, I like that verse. Do we really like it? Tell those who wait and trust and believe and surrender to, the, to this Lord, they're going to gain new strength. They, they, they will mount up with wings like eagles. Man, they'll walk. They're not going to get tired. They're going to run. They're not going to faint. They're going to have endurance. But tell them they got to wait. Tell them they got to rest in this Lord, trust in this Lord, believe in this Lord. T tell them strong prophetic word. Can I tell you that message is still true today? You got to wait on the Lord. You got to rest in the Lord. You got to trust in the Lord. You got to delight in the Lord. You got to find your identity in the Lord. You got to believe he's enough. Now, Isaiah, I want you to pin something for me. I'm going to give you a prophetic. Prophetic revelation 
a bloody, brutal revelation, but I want you to pin it. Starting in Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who believes our message? Who would have thought that God's saving power would even look like this? The people in Jesus' day was expecting some earthly king of power and all good looks and dominance. And he's like, he's coming. But who would have ever thought God's saving power would look like this? Jesus. There was nothing attractive about Jesus. He was looked down on, a man who suffered, who knew pain personally. One look at him and people turned away. Oh, oh, you're Joseph and Mary's boy, yeah. You're a carpenter. The fact is, it was our sins and our pains and our failures that he carried. We, we looked at him. Uh, he's criminal. He, something's wrong with him. It was our sin. We thought God was punishing him for his failures. It was our sins that did it to him that ripped him and tore him and crushed him. It, it was our sins. It was ours. When he walks the Via Della Rosa, when he's blasphemed and mocked and ridiculed and spat upon and beaten and crowns and spear and blood, It's our sin. It's Tim Cash's sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. It was my failures. He took the punishment to make us whole, complete, lacking in nothing. Through his beatings and bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and got lost. We're all like sheep. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. God has piled our sins. Everything we've done wrong on Jesus. Every lie you've told, every joint you smoked, every fifth you finished every secret you've covered he piled it all on him this is the strongest prophetic revelation regarding Yeshua Jesus found in the Bible he was beaten he was tortured didn't say a word like a lamb taken to be slaughtered he remained silent Justice was miscarried. He died, beaten, bloody for the sins of my people. The gospel was first to the Jew and then to the Greek. It, he died for my people. The plan was that Jesus give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it, everlasting life, abundant life. True life. Isaiah, this king is going to come, the king of glory. This virgin-born king. Joseph ain't his daddy. 
the creator God is, he's going to come. He's going to live 33 years. 30, he'll start his public ministry. He'll recognize the customs of the day because that's when a rabbi can start his public ministry. He's going to do a lot of cool stuff. He's going to heal people and raise people from the dead, and he's going to provide a lot of unique things. But Isaiah, I'm just telling you, he's going to die a terrible death. But on the third day, he will be raised to the right hand of the Father. So Drew Jeremiah, or Isaiah sees it. This king is coming. He's coming. Here's my question. What will you do with the tension in your own soul right now? You've got tension in your soul right now. What will you do with it? For you to totally repent and deal thoroughly with sin and to turn away from you and to turn away from your self-centeredness and to place your faith and confidence in Christ and in him alone, what are you going to do with the tension in your soul? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to cry out to Jesus? Are you willing to go all in? He did not do what he did. For us to appease our consciences for 85 minutes on a Sunday morning, He didn't do what he did so that we could have a checklist saying, I went to church. He did what he did so that we would die to ourselves, so that we would scream with the Apostle Paul, I've been crucified with Jesus Christ. And now it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I'm now living, I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He died so that we would experience whole, abundant, everlasting life. Who will believe our message? Who will be our voice to the nation? Who's willing, Dustin, to take the gospel to Loganville and beyond? Nick, who's willing to stand in the gap? Who's willing to do intervention? Who's willing to do strategic prayer? With people. Who's willing to disciple? Who's willing to mentor? Who's willing to be my voice to the nation? Who is willing? Do you have, in this tension of the soul, do you have deep down inside of you the reckoning of Isaiah to say, Here am I. Send me. But You can't violate the holiness of God and continue to live in sin and be his voice piece. And you know it. And that's what keeps so many people on the shelf. You blame everybody else. You blame everybody else. But reality is, until you look in the mirror, And you allow the Holy Spirit to turn on his searchlight and to do major surgical work where you repent and you surrender. I've heard all the arguments. I just don't connect there. You've been on the planet 40 years. Where do you connect? 
Y'all are just a bunch of hypocrites. Great, you can go to church with a few of us or go to hell with a bunch of them. Come join us. Yeah, we are. We jack it up at times. Yeah, we, we mess it up. We don't always do what we really want to do. But I've heard doing arguments. Am I willing to allow the Holy Spirit to do a major work in my life? Am I willing to repent? So Isaiah, man, I'm, I'm just telling you, you read the book of Isaiah. There's 66 chapters in Isaiah. There's 66 books in the Bible. First 39 books of Isaiah kind of deal more with an old covenant kind of thinking. And by the time he gets to chapter 40 on, those last 27 is ushering in Yeshua Jesus. I mean, it is the gospel. God buried this incredible book in scripture for us to know. And it's my favorite. I love Psalms. I love Proverbs. I love Genesis. <sighs> I love Isaiah. Isaiah's story matters. His message matters. Your story matters. And what you do with God's message matters. Then he introduces us to Jeremiah. God introduces us to the true Jeremiah, not three dog night. Older generation, you with me? Because Jeremiah was not a, yeah, he wasn't a bullfrog. He was a prophet of God. Jeremiah's name means exalted by the Lord. God had exalted Jeremiah. When you study him, his life appeared to be a failure, and his ministry appeared just to be silent. He prophesies and cries out on behalf of God to people, and people don't listen. And you start to look at how many converts and how many people that would have attended Jeremiah's church, and you go, man, what a failure. He didn't have the fastest growing church in Jerusalem. He endures years of heartache, years of disappointment, years of frustration, and he continues to weep, crying out for the people to repent. The, the message of Jeremiah was this, turn away from your idols, turn away from these false gods that you're bowing to, and get back to the true God who made you. That's the message of Jeremiah. God sends judgment, nah, I'm not going to respond. Larry Krebs said this, God makes no promise to protect you from suffering in this world. He does promise his power and presence when bad things happen. The power to walk in hope with confidence. Jeremiah, you, you, you're his voice piece. He didn't promise me I wouldn't suffer. He didn't promise me I wouldn't have pain. He didn't promise me everybody would listen. He didn't promise me. He just told me to be his voice piece. Prophet is a person who spoke to the people on behalf of God. A priest was a person who interceded to God on behalf of the people. Makes sense? Prophet speaks to the people on behalf of God. Priest intercedes. Husbands, God's called us to be priest and prophet in our homes, with our wives, with our families. It's your responsibility. Priest, prophet, provider, protector. Speak to, speak to your family. Get with me. Hang with me. Now intercede for your family to me. Let's go. If we were fulfilling 
the prophet priest role in our homes, it would be amazing the difference that we would see in our own families. Now, Jeremiah chapter 2, God said, my people have done two evil things. They've done two evil things. Tell them they've done two evil things, okay. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug out for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water at all. Tell my people they've done two major things. One, they've abandoned me. They've rejected me. They want to do their own thing. They don't want to acknowledge me, submit to me, surrender to me. Tell, tell, tell them that they have rejected me. They, they're rejecting me. Tell them. And then tell them that those broken cisterns, cistern was a, like a well where they would keep water. He said, tell them they, they got broken cisterns. Tell them that I'm living water. I want to provide satisfaction and nourishment for their soul. Tell them they're drinking contaminated water. Well, what, what, what are they turning to? They're turning to their job. They're turning to their work. They're turning to their athletics. They're turning to their pride. They're turning to their money. They're turning to sex, alcohol, drugs. They're, just tell them, just tell them their systems ain't working. Tell them the man-made cisterns that they're drinking out of are cracked and the reason they're struggling and suffering with spiritual bacteria in their system is because they've rejected living water. Remember Jesus looks at that woman and says, I can give you water that you'll never thirst again. She's at Jacob's well and Jesus goes, no, I'm going to give you, you living water. The prophets have talked about that. I've heard it. Uh, I want to give you living water. You want to give me living water? Go get your husband and let's carry this conversation on. I've been married five times and I'm shacked up. And what he was telling her was basically quoting Jeremiah 2 that you've turned to broken cisterns and you're looking for living water. Nick, anything we turn to apart from Christ is a broken cistern. And we're going to drink contaminated water. Tell, tell, tell the church over in Laodicea that their aqueduct system, that their water's stale. Their water's stagnant. Their water's terrible. Tell, tell, he uses water throughout. Come to me and drink from my stream. Psalms repeatedly says it. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. I want you to hear this loud and clear. There is a false gospel being preached today. There is a false gospel being preached here in the United States today, other parts of the world. And here's what it says. God will love you. God will save you. God will bless you no matter what you do, no matter what you believe. There is not a call to personal holiness. There's not a call to deal with sin. You hear people say, God just wants to bless you and take care of you. There's no call to repent. No call to get right with God. And the people in Jeremiah's day, they loved that lie. And the people 
in the United States, 2018, they love that lie until they realize it is a lie and it don't work. It is a broken cistern. 700 years later, Paul writes a pastoral epistle to Timothy, and he says, uh, the time's coming when people will no longer listen to sound teaching. They'll follow their own desires. They'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll reject the truth. The time is coming, and the time is now, that you've got to stop and go, what am I following? Am I following my desires? Am I following biblical truth? You, you really do have to stop and go, what am I following? Now, 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 one of the most quoted passages out of the Old Testament, yeah, Isaiah 40, 31. You don't hear a lot of people quoting that, song, or that Isaiah 53 thing when I broke down the murder of the Messiah. We'll quote that 4031 because that's a pretty cool hook me up rabbit's foot. We'll quote that Philippians 4.13, I do all things through Christ because the emphasis is on me. You'll hear people quote Jeremiah 29.11 like a champ. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare to bless you, to give you a promise, and to give you a future. I know the plans, and they stop there. They grab that verse like it's a rabbit's foot. God wants to bless you. God's got a wonderful plan for your life. The emphasis of Jeremiah 29 is you'll call on me. You'll come to me. You'll pray. Then I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you come after me with all your heart. But it's amazing how we extract just the feel good. You believe? Jeremiah 29, Tim, I absolutely do. But he says, call on me, come to me, seek me, pursue me with all your heart. I'll show you great and mighty things you don't know. Which implies I'm God, I'm Lord, I'm authority, I'm master. And so many people, man, they want to trivialize the text to make it about them. The object of the Bible is God. The subject of the Bible is God. It's not about us. And he goes, I want you to come to me. I want you to call on me. I want you to know I'm good. But you gotta, you got to come after me with all your heart. Because if you don't, it's not going to work. And some of you sitting in here right now, you're going, I've been, I've been sipping out of broken cisterns so freaking long that I'm sick. I'm so sick, Steve. I've got spiritual bacteria so far inside of me that's corrupt because I've drank from the things of the world. Man, I'm telling you, I'm sick. He continues to cry. He continues to weep. Then he writes a book called Lamenting, Weeping, Sorrow, Lamentations. And what he basically declares is he continues to write, Something beautiful happens in suffering that can never happen in pleasure. It's when you become broken. It's when you get caught. It's when you get exposed. It's when the real you has to face the music. 
There's something beautiful in suffering that will never happen in pleasure. It's when you realize you've broken God's heart. It's when you realize you've broken the heart of loved ones close to you. It's when you realize that it's not my brother or my sister, but it's me. Oh, Lord. And it's when that suffering drives us to a place of repentance and brokenness that only then can we experience the healing and hope of Jesus. The so-called good life has to be exposed that it's not satisfying and that God's substitutes will always fail. And we go, I need more. So one of the great passages out of Lamentations And there's songs written about this for hundreds of years. Chapter 3, 21 through 23, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so he writes saying, even when you're faithful, he remains faithful he cannot deny being who he is it's your sin that separated you it's your sin that nailed him to the cross it's his love that didn't give up it's his grace that continues to pursue it's his mercy that continues to give multiple chances From chapter 3 of Genesis, the betrayed lover is saying, come back to me. Come back to me. So these prophets, man, were strong with their declaration. These prophets didn't back off. These prophets desired to see God's people and others right with the God that had made them. Our heart this morning is that you would confront the tension in your soul and that you would violently repent. You would violently repent. There's going to be a team of people here that would love to pray with you this morning. I am jacked up. I am ruined. i got to repent. I've got to surrender. I'm not asking if you walked an aisle and prayed a prayer and got in a tank of water at some time in the journey. I'm talking about surrender. I'm talking about seeing the Lord. I'm talking about embracing the holiness of God. You've got to surrender. Can't play the games anymore. Dana can't play it. Spencer can't play them anymore. And once you say, I'm done, I surrender. I've got to be healed. I've got to have this hope. Only then, Drew, do you start to experience the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding.